Babble, Bullshit, and Beyond, a podcast hosted by me, Marco Curis, bringing you a standards perspective of the film industry and an immigrant's perspective on America. The most fluffy, fun, pop bullshit you can tune into. Today on the show, we have Joe Eckhart, former production assistant for Nicolas Cage and Cuba Gooding Jr. Joe branched out into writing, producing, and directing, establishing himself in the business with his documentary film Champion, starring Danny Trejo. We caught up with Joe and reminisced about working with Nick Cage and shared stories of our times in Hollywood. So, Joe, let me ask you questions. Did you go to film school? Well, I didn't go to film school, but I, okay. I started on just a PA on sets. My first film was a, a Walter Matthau picture called I'm Not Rappaport. Oh, my God. Based on the Broadway play. Yes. And... That was my first film. I worked on the last four days of the show, and I loved it. And I first met Nick and yourself and his whole team on Snake Eyes. We were oh. shooting down in Montreal, uh, down in, uh, down in um, Atlantic City. Atlantic City. And I wasn't assigned to his team, per se, like officially his assistant on set. I was there to kind of surround him with a bunch of other PAs when he was, you know, between takes, sitting in his chair, and, you know, in a freaking casino with with Nicholas Cage all, all at night and everyone's trying to get autographs and hang out. And I just kind of hung out right around them and stood there and make sure people, you know, left them alone. And I didn't bother him. I wasn't like, Oh, I loved you in face off. And I loved you in leaving Las Vegas and, you know, kissing his ass like the other PAs were. And that, I noticed that was pissing him off that, that they were doing that. So I didn't, there's no need to, I just needed to do my job and keep people away from him. But that caught his eye. And mm -hmm. this is what he told me is that caught, that caught his eye. And he asked me, how come you're not kissing my butt like these guys are? Because that's not what they asked me to do. They asked me to keep people away from you. And that's what I'm doing. And he's like, okay. Only New Yorkers and, and, are that good at that stuff. Yeah, I just kept people, always kept people away from him. And Todd, remember Todd Roland? Yeah. And Todd, Todd, Todd. 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 Uh, I would, um, I guess, talk to him, Nick. And Nick, they asked me if I wanted to continue with the movie. And, and okay, sure. So then finished the movie with them and then turns out they're coming to town again to do eight millimeter that back to new york so they call and say hey, you want to be on this one it's like yeah absolutely so then they got on that one um and then from there they called back and said all right we're done with eight millimeter which we ended up going back to la for and finishing mm -hmm. and then they call back and they're like all right well we're going back to new york to do bringing out the dead the martin scorsese movie it's like i'm in let's go so I got to work with him at home for, for four months and at night in Manhattan, which was rough. Rough, was, rough, especially at Smith's Bar on 8th Avenue and 44th Street. Yeah. What right a nightmare. How, how many nights did we have that as a base camp? Too many. We were there New Year's Eve we were shooting. Yeah, I remember. You're right. That was New Year's Eve. We were still yeah. filming. Everybody's in out Manhattan. partying in Manhattan on New Year's Eve. It was miserable. It was a complete miserable shoot. I mean, the entire, except you had your homie there, Mark Anthony. Yeah, Mark was there. That was cool. I still, I still have that relationship to today. We're still friends with the family. I mean, we met a lot of good people on that. So let's go back to that bringing out the dead. So bringing out the dead in that misery of four, four, four and a half months of shooting right down in New Year's Eve. We filmed on Halloween also in that disaster that was going on in Sixth Avenue or Fifth Avenue or somewhere. I remember that. We all went to some bar club afterwards. Yeah, 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 yeah. We went to the whiskey. We went there. Everybody went there and we were just in the back room there drinking. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We also spent New Year's Eve there. Wasn't uh, Eddie Vedder there from Pearl Jam with us that night? And yeah, Adam was Cohen was there. I remember that night, though. Oh, that was another night. Okay, was another night. Nick, Nick liked to go to that spot. We all, we all did. Yeah, Just hung out in the back and had some drinks and decompressed from the hard day and you know, tell stories and bullshit and lies and whatever. I went home and started the next day again. <laughs> <laughs> Another 15 hour day on the streets of New York city. In Here the we snow. are in the snow when it was a summer shoot. So yeah. you had to wear like summer clothing, except you got to wear like winter clothing. You weren't puffy then. Cause it was so cold. Your skin went right in. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> and I will never forget my, uh, what's my rapper name that you used to put on my trailer. Oh shit. What was that? Puffy Kiris. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I, I photographed it one day when it was on the thing with the star on my trailer and it said Puffy Kiris. It was hysterical. Oh Only you would come up with a name like that. So I still use it to this day. I just want you to know, but I always give you the credit for it. Just so you know. So it was your, your calling, your word, your phrase, Puffy Kiris. <laughs> I love that name. Puffy Kiris. And you were laughing along with other people saying, oh yeah, Marco's going to teach Nick how to rake leaves. And as I'm just sashaying through it, you know, with, with, <laughs> I look like, you know, witchy poo gone wrong, you know, trying to rake the leaves. And then he's staring at me like, is that how you really rake leaves? Cause he'd never <laughs> raked leaves before. Why would he rake leaves? <laughs> and so, and you're laughing. It's just like, oh yeah, 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 way to go macho man, raking leaves as I'm sashaying through it, you know, turn and twist, turn and twist. <laughs> turn and twist that shit. <laughs> It was oh, hysterical. It was funny watching you guys. It was. We were both terrible at it. Uh, Joe, Joe, they didn't put you up uh, as a PA when you went to L.A. You moved to L.A., is that correct? To continue yeah, a potential film career at that point. The two times I went to L.A. for Nick, they didn't put me up, unfortunately. And I know it's because they don't need to. They can hire a local. I get it. Yeah. You know? So it wasn't anything negative. I was willing to do it because I really loved working with Nick. And I, I was learning a lot from him. So I was like, I'm going to do it. So the first time... I flew to LA for uh, eight millimeter mm -hmm. and put myself up downtown and got a little apartment and was there and and I used a car from uh, Todd Rowland's old car. Oh, old beat up! I don't even know what it was. Two door hatchback thing that stick and I never drove a stick before, so I had to learn on the spot. <laughs> and then after the movie was done, I went back to New York. And then for Gone in sixty seconds, I ended up driving from New York with my buddy, and we hopped in my four door Honda Civic and packed it in with whatever we can fit. And did a three and a half day tour straight to L.A. Wow. That movie was kind of fun because it, it there was no seriousness. I mean, the story was just fun. It was all about cars. And so with that, I didn't feel any pressure to be a stand-in because it didn't really matter. Other than having blonde hair, you were just hanging out. But the hours were rough. And there was all those locations were ridiculous from Long Beach to Redondo Beach. And, uh, and you were basically hanging out with Nick during that time. Yeah, the entire time. It was fun. It was it was a hard movie to do just because of the hours and mm -hmm. the demands, how much we were shooting each day and and what they expected of Nick. And, you know, my job was to make sure Nick was ready for whatever we, he was about to go shoot. And he didn't look like an idiot when he went out there and it didn't know. Oh, wait, we're doing what? Like, no, that, that should never happen. Right. That's my job to make sure the man's ready. So that set was pretty crazy. And the left side didn't know what the right side was doing. And I had to figure out, you know, somehow. So. Yeah. Felt like Indiana Jones finding information on set. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was really hard. Relaying it back to Nick and making sure he was ready to go. So, Yeah, I remember doing that stuff. I used to also call Stephen Burrs and yourself on our cell phones quietly to tell them how long the shot was going to take. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of conflicting information coming back and forth. We didn't know if it would take 45 minutes or two hours and 45 minutes. And things were back and forth. Nobody really knew what was going on. It was a very disorganized film shoot.
yeah, it was it was it was a rough one. I know the you know the cast was all pretty good. I know we had an issue with one particular cast member that was having issues. I don't want to talk bad, but um, so she she uh, but straightened up and she was cool and finished the film. Mm-hmm. And then um, I remember all that stuff. Yeah, the, yeah. But I think one of my favorite parts of that movie was before the movie even started shooting was in pre production. Nick and Angelina and um, Stephen and I and the stunt guys went up to Willow Springs Raceway up in Cal- by like by like uh, by Edwards Air Force Base oh up in God. Lancaster, and they were training Nick how to, and Angelina how to drive that Eleanor car super super fast and how to control it. Oh. So it was just like so low key, you know, not a big deal. Like no real cameras, no press, no nothing, right? No crew, just a stunt guy. Eddie Yantic, I think, was there too. Yeah, yeah, Eddie and, was there. I remember him telling me that. Yeah, and we would just sit, sit there, literally, and just watch these guys race and race and race. And I would literally stand next on my little four door silver Honda Civic that I drove <laughs> out from New York, right? It's a little piece of crap. I'm leaning up against it, and Angelina's leaning up against it, and we're just sitting there watching talking, bullshitting, and she was totally cool, normal, quiet, watching Nick drive. And then she's like, well, he's going to be a while. Let's go get some cigarettes. Okay. So we hop in the car, and her and I are my little Honda Civic driving around town looking for one store that can fucking sell cigarettes. And it wasn't until like five miles away that we found them. That's turned around and came back. That's funny. I mean, there, there, I mean, I'm sure that there are more stories. I mean, there were a lot of stories on set, even with Del Rind- uh, Del Del, Del Ray. Del, Del, Delroy Lindo. Delroy Lindo. That was close. Ooh, sorry, Delroy. <laughs> uh, it's been a long time, and he's been working nonstop, that guy. Um, do you remember that time when, when uh, he took a wrong turn going down the alleyway and he almost wiped out hair, makeup, wardrobe? Yes. He smashed up the whole thing. It was like, yes. whoa. That was downtown by the Disney building, I think. Remember? Yeah. It was somewhere entering some alleyway of some sort. But I remember that. It was a lot of downtown shooting. It was really rough down there. You yeah, know, the yeah, film yeah, those that. alleyways back and forth and all these supporting cast, what I called the kids, you know, they were, they were on a high because they were young and they were like playing around and they had all the cars and stuff. So it was kind of fun for them. Then you had the veterans, you know, uh, Duvall and Cage and even Francis Fisher doing a little cameo appearance. I liked um, Duvall. He was cool. Yeah. I mean, he's a serious veteran. Guy's been around a thousand years. I remember he, I got him to sign a Godfather poster for me. Oh my God! Yeah, I brought one. I bought one in Hollywood somewhere at the poster store and brought it down to Long Beach when we were shooting and got him to sign it for me. Wow, that's a smart thing to do. I still have it. Still have it. (laughs) What about the bridge shot that we had done? That huge bridge shot where they were, you know, jumping the jump, the big car jump. Yeah. The setup took forever and a day. They were like a herd of turtles out there. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember how long that took. Was it a couple of days, two, three days? I'm like, we I'm blanking. Like two out. or three days doing that. I mean, that's a dangerous jump. That car, yeah. whoop, off the bridge, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever's in it. Yeah, that was, I mean, I can't believe that they had clearance to close down that bridge. I mean, that was a, a major For so argument. long, yeah. I, well, I that's Jerry Bruckheimer. Yeah, a lot of money. Jojo, when, how many films did you do with Cage Wage? Four. Four. Okay. Four long ones. <laughs> four long ones. Well, you were his personal PA, which really meant that you were there a good 15 hours a day. You saw him when he walked in the door until he left, and you kind of like had to do everything in between, make sure that things are on the ball and he's on set. Do you remember on Gone in 60 Seconds, we went to a party at Hugh Grant's house, courtesy of Vinnie Jones. We had a huge party. 
That was Hugh Grant's house? That was Hugh Grant's house with the pool in the middle outside? Yes. And, and Angie was there, Jolie. Street was the caterer? Yes. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was up by the Beverly Hills uh, Hotel, somewhere up in the hills there. Do you remember that? Yeah. It was a I great party. Hugh Grant's house. Yeah, that was oh, Hugh Grant's there. house. And Hugh Grant is uh, or was uh, Vinnie Jones's buddy. And that's how we got in to use his house. He wasn't in town that particular weekend or day or month. And we all got to have this lavish party that went on for what <laughs> seemed all night long. I had no idea. Yeah, that's whose house it was. That was a great party. I remember the party, for sure. It was fantastic. And Dan was there, you know, director, Dominic's assistant. He yeah, was a yeah. He was a trip. Yeah, that whole party was a trip. That was. Yeah. What a what an amazing place. I mean, it's, I mean, I had a great time. I just wondered if you remember that party or not. Yeah, I just didn't realize it was Hughes Grant's house. Yeah, at the time. I'm not sure if you sold it or not, but what a nice home. Almost 20 years later, I find out where I was. Yeah. Was <laughs> well, now you know. You'll forever remember that. So was that, Joe, was that our last film that you had yeah, worked with? I was, was Gone in 60, 60 Seconds. What happened after that? I mean, we went on. I don't remember what I did after Gone in 60 Seconds. Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Oh, right, right. That's why. Because we went to Greece, my homeland. And you stayed in the States and started to work on other things. I don't know what happened, to be honest with you. To this day, it kind of, it's a little fuzzy. I just remember getting a call from Jeff Levine. I needed a job, and then they, uh, his agent was heard of another celebrity, Cuba Gunner Jr., looking for assistant to make a change in his group. So they got me in a meeting with him, and then I ended up joining Cuba's team for a while. Wow. How long were you with uh, Cuba? Too fucking long. Um, <laughs> I, and I was with Cuba about two and a half years. Probably two, two and a half. I did a bunch of movies, six, seven movies with him. So you were with him for that many films in that many years. I had no idea. Yeah, see, we did uh, Snow Dogs, we did Fighting Temptations, um, Pearl Harbor, we did um, In the Shadows, we did uh, Radio Man, or Radiohead, what is it, Radio Man? Radio, Radio, Radio. Um, Okay. I'm forgetting a big one, I know. Oh, Boat Trip, which we did out, that was cool, only because of all the traveling we did. We shot that in uh, Cologne, Germany, so we, we, in the studios there. And we were there probably for three months, three and a half months. Wow. And, but the movie takes place on an actual cruise ship, on a cruise ship. And so we actually took a cruise ship for a week and we flew to Athens, Greece. And we oh. took the ship, we ship out of there. And uh, I remember Cuba and I get into a fight when we got there because we were starving and we landed in Athens. I'm like, we're in Athens. I've never been there. Let's get some fucking Greek food. Hello. This is like the Mecca of Greek food. Let's go. <laughs> so we get there. And he's like, nah, I don't trust that shit. I don't know what kind of meat that is. Uh, I'm going to KFC. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You think that's actually chicken? Come yeah. on. If you're worried about what's in this gyros or, you know, you have no idea what you're talking about. So we literally went to a place. There was a Kentucky Fried Chicken on the left side. And there's a, a regular, you know, Greek mom and pop shop, you know, restaurant. He went in there with his buddies. And I went into the, the mom and pop shop and got a, got a gyro and, and had some Greek food. And he was eating his goddamn bucket of chicken. Oh, my God. Okay, well, well, that's not stereotype. That's hysterical. <laughs> it's only a stereotype if it's false. So then we went to, um, after, that, after there, we went to, to uh, Mykonos. And then we wow. shot on Mykonos for a while. And then we went to... You went to Mykonos? Uh, yeah. What a, what a trip. It was amazing. It was amazing. We, we ported in all these different spots. And then we ported in uh, Alexandria. In Egypt. Egypt. You're kidding and me. I made sure with this shooting schedule and arranged an a escort for us to go to the fucking pyramids up in Cairo. And and we did. We had this little mini, like a mini, I don't want to say party bus, like a mini school bus, basically. Mm-hmm. And 
and me and his, you know, his Cuba's team and like one other person from the crew, I think we got in and we had like a, like a escort with these guys with like AK-47s protecting us and drove all the way up to the Cairo to check out the, the pyramids. And I actually have some photos if you go on my Facebook in that same folder of us at the pyramids. Oh my God. I'm so jealous that you went to the pyramids. I've always wanted to go, but you need an AK-47 with a couple of bodyguards to go there these days. Yeah, it was quite dangerous, and uh, but it was fun. I remember it was really surreal because all you see is flat desert, completely flat, mm -hmm. nothing on the horizon, right? And we're driving all of a sudden, like that, all of a sudden, poof, the pyramids are there. We're like, where the hell did that come from? That was not there <laughs> 10 seconds ago. It was weird. Wow. Wow. Yeah, we went out, we saw the, you know, the Sphinx and, and went into the pyramids. And, and, of course, Cuba pissed off the guys inside the pyramids. There's people like looking for donations inside of it and they kind of like give them whatever you want. He refused to because it wasn't required. So then they had this fucking guy yelling at him in Arabic. Uh. Who knows what the hell he was cursing his life, his career or whatever, his, his wife. <laughs> and, uh, that's yeah. hysterical. So, well, I mean, you can't play around. These guys pretend that they're hot shots. I mean, the whole the entire time, their their egos are bigger than their their brains. He stopped listening to his people. Is what happened after he got the Oscar. Mm -hmm. um, he literally stopped listening to any of his raps. So after after he got the Oscar, he did Chill Factor, which everyone told him not to do, but he did it because of the money. And according to him, you know, I. I got the actor. I got the best supporting actor. I'm no longer a supporting actor. I graduated. Now I'm, a, I'm a, now I'm the lead actor. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he took the first big offer because there was a lot of money attached to it, and he took it. Then there's Boat Trip, which we all told him not to do, but he thought it was a funny script. He wanted to do it anyway. But you know, I'm glad he did it because I met some good people in that movie, mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed working on the film. And I met the you know the producer Brad Kervoy, whom I respect greatly, and and. And always value his his guidance and his 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 opinion. And I've always and to this day I reach out to him a lot and talk to him and just just to get his advice because he's been around and he's super incredibly smart and incredibly nice. He's, he's a very nice guy. So and he you know seems generally to to want to help me. So. Well, I mean, uh, he complained a lot about Hollywood. Uh, I'm sure you read that in the press. He complained a lot about like it's a big white man's world and how he's now not working so much. It was more his attitude than anything else. It was never his acting ability because he was pretty good. He thinks he knows everything. He thinks yeah. he can control it all. Like, come on. He wouldn't, you know, he got offered the role in Ali, the Will Smith movie, Michael Mann directing. He mm -hmm. got the role of uh, that Jimmy Fox ended up having later at the end of the day. He turned it down. <laughs> Why? Because, and I quote, I am not paying second to Will Smith. Wow. He's a rapper. He's not an actor. Now, him and Will are tight. They're friends. They go golfing all the time. But he's like, yeah, that, but that's personal. Business, I'm not playing second to him. He's a fucking rapper. He's not an actor. I'm an actor. I should be the lead role. Well, sorry, you're not Muhammad Ali. I hate to tell you that, buddy. But, but you can be the drunk friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I, I, we always said that it's ego that destroys uh, people's career and people's uh, lifestyles. You can't have that ego ahead of you. You've got to, like, work hard and do it. You know, if they cast you in a second fill into something, you just you, you shine through it. You just do your job and move on. That's yeah. That's the way to do it. He did the same thing on the movie Life with Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. He, mm -hmm. he originally was offered the Martin Lawrence role, and he turned it down. He said, I didn't like the ending, and I don't want to work second to Eddie Murphy. Okay, well, the movie fucking did amazing and, you know, great thing, a gazillion dollars. Yeah. Okay, clearly you know what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> and, and clearly Eddie Murphy's been around 30 years, and he's quite brilliant at the end of the day. Right, he's a freaking legend. Yeah, and, and so is Will Smith, for that matter. Yeah, they're both legends. I respect them greatly, mm -hmm. both of them.
I think that Nick was very generous overall. Yeah, he was amazing. I love working with Nick. He really was. Like, very few entourage superstars would take care of their entourage as best as they could, you know, knowingly. And they did. You know, I mean, he was he was great. Yeah, Nick was fantastic. I always compare. People ask me, like, well, who would you like better, Nick or Cuba? I'm like, well, here's a comparison for you. Whenever we go into a bar with Nick, Nick, you have no, if you're a patron there, you know, not involved with the entourage or anything, you had no idea he was there. He was in the back quietly enjoying his scotch, his whiskey, whatever, relaxing. Cuba, when you walk in, you know he's there because he's got his shirt off and he's fucking breakdancing and screaming in the corner. <laughs> that's, that's Cuba. Like, he needs that attention. Yeah, he's got he that whole that nouveau riche thing going on. Nick was always hiding. Wherever he would go, it'd be like he'd be sitting some, in some corner anywhere, just like to not to be seen or heard. Yeah, hat on, kind of low. You didn't know he was there. He's just doing, having his decompression time. And, and I appreciated that. I appreciated that, that he was like that. Mm -hmm. I did know? too. And I like that we were all fairly quiet around him. And we kind of understood that he needed his downtime. And we would sit on the other side sometimes at the bar. We'd mix and mingle, do different things. And nobody was like in his face and he wasn't in our face. It was just a very quiet time and it was nice. Yeah, I was looking, it's funny. I was looking through a box of old memorabilia the other day and I found... A, a Christmas card or a birthday card, something from Nick. Yeah. And it's, you know, to Joe, thanks for everything, whatever, you know, love Nick. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. He this is awesome. That. I'm so glad I saved it. Yes. For some reason, I had a couple of them left as well. And he gave me gift after gift, Joe. I mean, all those years, 10 years, 20 films, there are so many cards and so many gifts, I couldn't keep up with anything. And I mean, he did that all the time. And he signed all those cards all the time. Yep. And, uh, I mean, I was very thankful. I mean, if you're ever going to hit with an entourage, that was a great entourage to be with, you know, because he was generous. I mean, after every film, you got gifts, you got gifts here for Christmas. I mean, it was birthday gifts. It never stopped. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, he was always being very generous with everybody. So let me ask you, Joe, after these gigs as PAs and you learned about the business, you did other production work as well, then you started off on your own to do uh, Rock On Films. You, what, did you set that up in 2008? And, 2008, And yeah. you started to become a filmmaker on your own. Well, I started before that. I actually, on the movie Fighting Temptations, um, and this is a real pivotal point for me in my career, was I was working with Cuba down in Atlanta, uh, Georgia. Cuba, as we already said, is very narcissistic, very selfish, very uh, insecure person. So that was the first year that they shot, that the, they were doing um, Project Greenlight with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon on HBO. I was like, wow, this sounds really great. I really want to enter it. So I wasn't working so much seven days a week while in Atlanta. I still had days off, right? So I you know, wrote a little script with, with uh, somebody else on the show. I was like, I'm going to enter this contest and shoot the short film on my, day, my days off. Right. And edit it and submit it. So I had a contact at the Atlanta Braves stadium there in Atlanta, the baseball stadium. And I talked to them and they let me at, use the field to shoot on during on my day off. So I went there and, you know, I used Cuba's cam a video camera that I had in my possession the entire time. Like I would shoot stuff behind the scenes for him just so you can have from memorabilia. Brought it down to the stadium and I'm shooting. All of a sudden, Cuba comes into the stadium on a fucking golf cart with the stadium security and takes the camera like a little fucking baby, like a little child. My camera. You have no right to use this for this. I said, Are you fucking kidding me? So now, of course, the shoot's over because I don't have a camera. So go back to the hotel, sitting downstairs in a restaurant, and he fires me. And he says to me, 
When you're with me, you are not a director. You're my assistant. And I said, listen, on my days off, I can do whatever I want. And I started yelling. People were around me like, and he's like, stop cursing. And I was like, no, you don't want them to hear that you're a fucking asshole? Is that what this is about? Well, you're a fucking asshole, everybody. Like, I am not, was not born to be your assistant. I have other things I'm working on. However, when I'm on the clock, I'm never doing anything else but working for you and protecting your interests. I'm doing my job right. Okay? So I can go to New York. I can go to fucking Russia on my days off. But as long as I'm back the day I'm supposed to be back on the clock and I'm not late, all is good. Because that's kind of the way this country is set up. So, so <laughs> I can do whatever I want on my days off. And you're going to be a fucking baby about your, me using your camera and firing me because of that? Like, whatever. You're making a big mistake. So I ended up flying back to, to L.A. that day. I was done with him. Wow. So when I got back, I was like, I am done babysitting people like him. Um, I couldn't do it anymore. So I started a company back then called The Film Emporium back in uh, 2000, 2001. It was right before 9-11, I think. So um, I was like, I'm done. I can't, uh, I can't uh, babysit anymore. So I started pursuing my own stuff. But you had one more baby to sit. You worked briefly with Val Kilmer, and through Val, you met Danny Trejo on the Sultan Seat. And I had worked with him on Con Air. Oh, right. You know Danny from Con Air. Yeah, I have photographs of him, and he was a very cool guy. And, and his whole life guy. story was phenomenal. So tell yeah, me about I this, because he fascinates me. I directed and produced the documentary and his life story. Wow. Called Champion. Why did he say yes to you, who was not a known filmmaker yet at that time? And Danny Trejo was already coming up the ladder. I mean, this guy was already working nonstop. Um, I don't know. I'm assuming he, you know, knew he can trust me. How do I say this? That I wasn't going to screw him. That he had a say in this. And I made them, you know, equal, 50-50. Like, I wasn't out to, to take advantage. And, you know, he, he knew my of my working with Nick. So I'm, I'm assuming he thought, okay, I can trust this guy. This guy's not going to be a dick and screw me over. So we were doing a documentary actually for another movie called Yo Soy, hmm. which means I am. And we had all these different Latino celebrities uh, attached to it where we're going to talk about how hard is it to be, uh, to make it be successful in this business, right? It's, it's hard enough doing it here when you're one in a million shop, but what's it like doing from Venezuela or Colombia, right? It's even harder to get anyone's attention here. Huh. So we had all these different people involved, and we we're going to do interviews, single interviews with everybody, and then a huge roundtable, and everybody talked, right? And we had like 15 people involved, 20 people, like Shakira, Carlos Vives, John, you know, uh, John Leguizamo, everybody wow. from Adam Rodriguez all the way to Ricardo Montalban. Like we had an amazing, amazing, diverse group of Latinos who are extremely influential to the business. How did you get these guys in there? I mean, Ricardo Maltabong? Well, once we started getting a few people in, everyone else just started kind of like, oh, they're in, I'll do it. That sounds fun, you know? And Adam Rodriguez, I've, knew, I've known forever. So I got him, and then I just started getting a few other people that I knew, and then before you knew it, it just kind of dominoed. We had everybody. We just kept putting requests out, and everyone was like, yeah, sure. Um, and we started shooting. We had Rosie Perez, too. Oh, my and, God. You know, Isai Morales, and Danny said yes, uh, Hector, Hector Elizondo. Huge cast. You're talking about 20 huge actors from yeah. the Latino community who've broken through in the mainstream America. Yeah. So we were doing Danny Trejo's interview. And up to then, I didn't really know much of his story. I knew some of it, but not all of it. And then, um, so we, um, so I didn't really know Danny's, Danny's story per se, 100%. Not until I sat in front of him asking him questions. Yeah. And started interviewing him on camera. And I was blown away at what he was telling me. And I literally was like, 
to the point where like, holy cow, this, this guy needs his own documentary. So we put that other show on hold because we were having scheduling issues getting the big round table together. As you can imagine, when you have all those different personalities traveling around the world, yeah. what they are all, all going to be in LA at the same time. You know? Good so, luck. Um, we started working on Danny's documentary. And first it started, to, we, we aimed for it to be a short, actually. But it just got so good as far as content that we're like, well, let's make it a feature. And we cut a feature. You know, we interviewed Dennis, you know, the late Dennis Hopper, interviewed you know robert rodriguez val kimmer you know him and are tight um steve buscemi you know and and a bunch of danny's personal friends so when the hollywood aspect of his life is minimal in the movie compared to what he really wants us to tell talk about which is what he did he did 11 years of prison time for armed robbery drug selling he was a bad guy back then so he turned it around. He's one of the only people that I've heard of that was able to, to do what he did and turn it around and now help people the way he, that he does. And, you know, he co-owns a bunch of detox clinics in Los Angeles where he literally detoxes, you know, people, you know, drugs and alcohol um, and cares. And he goes talks to all the different schools because he knows that troubled kids don't listen to their teachers, but they listen to him. You know, I went to a juvenile hall with him and just kind of sat back and watched. When he was talking to these kids and these kids, one kid got, got, you know, a little smart ass with him. Danny went up into his face, just fucking railed on this kid. And this kid cried afterwards, literally cried. Wow. So, so let me ask you then the documentary, uh, how long was the feature meaning? Um, it is about 80 minutes or so long and, um, about 80 minutes or so. I believe it's on Hulu right now. Amazon has it, I believe, as well. It made the rounds for a while. We, we originally released it in 2006, I think. So it's been out for about 10 years now. We shot it in 2004, edited it in 2004, 2005, and released it in 06. When we made it, no idea. So it helped people the way, it, the way it seems to be helping people. And people, people relate to it. Like, you know, Danny was incredibly, incredibly supportive of it when we were doing film festivals over the years. And he went to every single one, no matter where it was. Him and I traveled. We hopped on a plane, went to London, went to the Bristol Film Festival. Or, you know, we took a plane to New York and then hopped on a train up to Boston and went to the festival up there. Like, we were all over the place. We, we flew to San Francisco for the, the Wine Country Film Festival, uh, which they screened stuff in the vineyards. Hmm. And huge screens out there, and you sit down on the outside and have wine and watch movies. It was great. But the, uh, the request, the, the, the outpouring of of people wanting to see the movie, they actually moved our screening into a theater in town, a real movie theater. Wow. Because they needed more seats. It couldn't, they didn't have the, the seating for it in the vineyard. So like, oh, okay, fine. So we went and Danny and I were there and, you know, we always did Q and A's afterwards. So him and I are standing in front talking to the audience mm -hmm. and there's always a mix of people there. And I mean, I'll never forget this one guy, scariest, biggest Mexican I've ever seen in my life like tattooed up, bald head, like just, you know, this guy's been in jail. This guy, this guy's had some hard times, right? And, and it was it's likely a gang member or something. And the guy stood up and told Danny in tears, this guy is crying <laughs> so intensely that that movie he just watched was him. That was his life. That's what he did, you know, and he thanks Danny so much for, for letting us into, to know that, that he did that. And if it wasn't for his wife sitting next to him, he'd be dead because of the gangs he was involved in, because of the, all the prison time he did all over the, in California and all the drugs and the 
armed robberies and everything he did. And he turned it around and he's glad to know that, you know, he's not alone. So, yeah, it was incredible to see that, that side of a guy crying, like letting it go in front of a whole movie theater full of people. So what, where are you at now, Joe? You've done those. I mean, your name is, you're, you're moving up, obviously, in your world. Where are you at with things? Well, I'm actually, you know, I've been doing a lot of TV, too. Uh, I'm doing a lot of post-production work, head of post-production for different shows. I just did a show called um, La Voz Kids, which is The Voice Kids mm-hmm. in Spanish for Telemundo. And I did the season three and season four, uh, the heads ahead of post. And um, in, in between seasons, I did Project Greenlight as a post supervisor uh, for the season that just happened. Season four, I think it was. And then um, uh, now I've made the jump to showrunner, actually. And I'm going to be executive producing a t- another t- a TV series for NBC Universal, which is their new Latin station. Oh, and, okay. Um, if you have DirecTV, it's channel 410 on DirecTV. And I know it's on the other network, the other uh, cable providers too. I just don't know what channels. Um, but we're doing a show called Zapata Justice, where we shoot down in Zapata, Texas. That sounds fantastic, Joe. And you're the executive producer on that. It sounds like you've got a lot of great things on the horizon. Yeah. And on that note, Joe, I just want to say thanks for taking the time to do this. Yeah, of course. course. And we'll speak soon. Thank you, Marco. Take care, kid. Take care, guys. Bye. To watch the island bridges That's all the time we have for today. We reminisce with Joe Eckhart, a production assistant who moved up to becoming an esteemed writer, director, and producer. Until next time, this is Marco Curis signing off. Oh,